Good morning. When they stop the music, that means they're trying to tell me it's time to start church now. <laughs> Please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God together.
so good to us. You have given us everything. You know that my team was talking this morning about how sometimes the words that we're singing strike us so deeply. We sing such profound things about who you are and who we are in you. And sometimes when we sing things like, no matter what I'm facing, the song in my heart is ringing out. We think, can I even sing this? Is this even true for me right now? And sometimes we can't. But sometimes the very act of singing the words helps them to be true for us. Because you build our faith even as we step out, even Though we're unsure of our own faith, you are so faithful. You have compassion on us in our doubt. You honor our small attempts to trust you. You are so good. Help us, God. We believe you. Help us as we struggle to believe.
We love you. Amen. You may be seated as the ushers come forward to receive our tithes and offerings.
going to spend a few moments praying together. Uh, if you'd like to come and use the altar rail, it's a place where you offer your prayers. Please come and join me. Father, we come today asking what we have just sung. That your will would would be done, your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. That our hearts would reflect your heart. That our attitudes would reflect your attitude. That our words would reflect your words, our actions, your actions. That we would want more than anything else. For your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this because we know you are good and merciful and gracious. And you love us and you love all that you've created more than we could ever know. Father, we come today in gratitude, giving thanks for all of your blessings in our lives. We thank you for the way in which you you help us do the, the, the struggles of life, those that we may anticipate and those that we don't. We thank you for your grace in, in difficult circumstances. Even just the past week or so, as a number of academy students have, have had difficulties getting back to school here, we thank you for working out details, for, for making arrangements happen, for, for getting them back. We thank you for the miracles that you have done in the face of great difficulties. We thank you, Father, for all of the things that you did for us over Christmas break. Circumstances we encountered and difficulties and struggles and joys. We thank you for being present in each of them. We come now, Father, today and we want to give you thanks for all of your blessings on us. And we pour out our hearts to you knowing that you hear us. We pray for all who are grieving today. Bring comfort to them. We pray for all who are struggling with health issues. Bring healing to them. We pray, Father, for the ministries of our church and the various things that are going on as we've restarted Sunday school and we will begin small groups and other activities, children's ministries and youth ministries. Lord, we thank you for the leaders and the workers and the helpers and everyone who's involved. And we pray that these will be powerful times. We pray for churches around us. We thank you for the Belleville Wesleyan Church and Pastor Rob Grimes. May your grace be upon them as they worship today and as they serve you faithfully in their community and beyond. And Father, we pray for the needs that are beyond us. Needs of our nation, need for unity and love. The need for help in the midst of recent tragedies and disasters. We pray for the world beyond us refugees and places of violence and war and, and terrorism and all of the difficulties that we see every day. Father, let your spirit minister grace. Bless your church around the world as well, Father. We pray for our brothers and sisters who are so often right in the middle of the most difficult circumstances. Give them courage and hope. And faith in you. Father, we thank you for being with us as we worship today. We thank you for all of your blessings. They are beyond counting. It's because of what you've done, because of all that you've promised, because of who you are, that we offer our prayer through the power and presence and name of Jesus Christ, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
The reading today is from Mark 6, 30 through 44. If you're able, could you please stand for the reading of the gospel? The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, Come with me by yourselves and get some rest, to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, well, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Wait, before you're seated. Oh, sorry. I didn't tell her this, but take a moment and share a word of greeting with others here in worship today. I just want to mention a couple of things uh, that are in your bulletin. Um, one of them is a, there's an insert in your bulletin about uh, small groups. And I would love to have you involved in a small group. And uh, if you aren't, you can see places, names, numbers. Feel free to contact folks about uh, more information. Or you can contact Pastor Paul about that as well. And uh, also this week, his club starts again uh, up on Wednesday. And uh, most of the ministries are up and running now again with the break being over. We also just um, put together a, a booklet of the history of our church. Uh, we did one of these in 2002 at our sesquicentennial, and uh, we wanted to update that. And so we have these available to you. They're in the back on a little table there, and uh, there's an offering plate there. If you want to put a donation in, that would be great, but don't feel obligated to do that. But we'd love to have you take one. The thing I find about reading this is that it, it instills faith in me as I read the stories of how God has worked in the lives of people in our church. And when I think about what God's done in the past, it, it gives hope and faith for what God can do in the future. And so that's what, really why we have published this. So we invite you to take one of those uh, after you leave church this morning. I suspect that most of us, if you have if you grew up going to Sunday school or being a part of a church in any way, and maybe if you didn't even, you might have heard things about this particular story that we read today. There are lots of people that have questions about this story. I, one of my big questions is, how in the world did Jesus do that? Right? I mean, how did he take the loaf, five loaves of bread and break them in such a way that they just keep more and more bread? I don't know how he did that. Um, I can't imagine how long it took to, to, to get the bread out to these 5,000 families because there's 5,000 men 
that means that there were probably 5,000 families and these 12 disciples distributing them to them. And I, hate, I hope I was in one of the first groups instead of group number 4,998. It'd be a while before you got there. There are all kinds of things about the story that we may scratch our heads and say, I wonder what that's about. I wonder what the, what's going on here. But really, it's interesting to me that when you look at this story, at the heart of it is really a question that Jesus asked the disciples. They have this conversation. The disciples have, earlier in chapter 6, the disciples have been sent out by Jesus into towns and villages all around. And he says, you go and you preach the gospel and they healed people. They cast out demons. It's usually successful. And when we get to verse 30 that we started our reading today, they've come back to him. They start telling stories. And Jesus says, I want to hear all about it. Let's go off to a solitary place and get some rest because they're exhausted. But the crowd keeps following them. And they, they find them, even though they try to get away. And, they, and, and so now they've got this big crowd of people, and Jesus teaches them. And the disciples eventually come to him and say, look, it's getting late. There's a lot of people here. They need to eat. And Jesus says to the disciples, okay, feed them. I'd love to send the look on their face when he said that. What? I don't know if there's an emoji for that look or not, but I would love to see it if there is. And, and, you know, and, and they look at him like, well, how in the world could we do that? It would take, you know, half a year's wages or more to do that. Are you really wanting us to do that? And Jesus says, all right, fine. What have you got? Go find out. And they go find out. And what they've got are five loaves of bread and two fish. And they're looking at the fish and bread and looking at that crowd. And they're looking at the fish and the bread, looking at the crowd and going, yes, yeah, it's not going to happen. And Jesus says, trust me, you go have the people sit in groups, I'll take care of the rest. And he feeds them. That question that Jesus asked them, how much bread do you have, is key, I think, to this whole story. I was, when I read that question, it made me think back to when I was a kid. And you'd hear people say, hey man, you got any bread? They didn't mean bread, they meant money. In the 60s, that was the slang term for money. And, and, and I thought of that. And there is a connection between bread and money. Because actually, we need bread more than we need money. I mean, you, you, can, you can barter for bread. You can trade things for bread. You can even scrounge for bread. You can't survive without it. You got to eat some kind of food. You have to eat. Even if you don't have money, you can find a way to eat. Everybody needs to eat to survive. It's a legitimate question. Disciples are saying, how are we going to feed them? And Jesus says, how much bread do you have? And I think at the heart of that question, he's really asking, not just how much bread do you have, but what do you have? What do you have available to you? What are your resources? Think about it. And then there is this question that sort of comes up behind it, that's subtly underneath that question that we see beginning to evolve as the story goes along. And he says, not just how much do you have, but will you give it to me? I think that's a hard question for the disciples. It says earlier on that they get away and they're tired and they're hungry and they haven't had anything to eat. They are just as hungry as the crowd, maybe more so. They're not just saying, send them away so they can eat, send them away so we can eat. And they look at this bread and say, look, Lord, some loaves and fish are not going to put a dent in that crowd. But it will help us feel a little better. And Jesus says, the bread that's intended for you, the bread that you have that you are going to eat, give it to me. And you see them wrestling with this question just like we do. Because every day, God is saying to his disciples... What do you have and will you give it to me? That's not just about bread and money. It's not just about material possessions and stuff. It's about everything of life. Our time, our energy, our gifts, our forgiveness, our grace. Everything 
about us, everything that we want to hang on to, everything that God has given us, these blessings that God has given us, all the good things God has given us, he's saying to us, what have you got? Think about it. Now, give it to me. Give it to me. And it is one of the greatest challenges of being a disciple of Jesus is to hear that call and to say, okay. I think it's hard with money. I think it's just as hard about relationships. It's just as hard about forgiveness. It's just as hard, maybe harder about grace. Whatever we've been given, God is saying to us, give it back to me. What he's really talking about here is living with a mindset, an attitude of generosity. Of extravagant, reckless generosity. I think that kind of generosity and recklessness is rooted in compassion. When Jesus sees the crowd, tells us, he looked on them and he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They're hurting, they're broken, they're needy, they're yearning. He could have turned them away, which is what the disciples want to do. When they come to Jesus, they look at the crowd and say, here's all these needy people, send them away, Jesus. When Jesus sees the crowd, he says, okay, come on around me and I'll teach you. I'm here for you. That mindset is where our generosity starts. It's a mindset of seeing people the way Jesus does. Seeing people, seeing each other as broken, hurting, needy. I mean, everybody we encounter, whether they are our closest friends or people we hear about on the news or read about on the internet, every single person we encounter is broken and needy and hurting. And they're right in front of us. The hard part about about compassion The hard part about seeing them the way God does is that the need becomes so great. I don't know about you, but there comes a point where I I keep hearing story after story of one more refugee family, one more more act of violence and terrorism, one more disaster, uh, one more situation in in which children are, are mistreated, one more of this, one more, one more, one more, and it becomes so overwhelming. I just want to shut myself off from all of it. I can't take it anymore. And sometimes we have to back up a little bit. But the problem with that is that what we're really saying is, God, I don't want to feel the pain that other people feel. But the call of the gospel is to feel the pain of other people. And to trust God enough with what he's given us that we actually can be channels of blessing, channels of hope, channels of healing, channels of grace to needy people. First and foremost, the people who are right in the middle of our lives. I think this is why so many times this, this idea, parable, the story gets misinterpreted. It's not a parable, it's a story. It's misinterpreted. There are a lot of people who say the whole point of this, because when you get to the end, what happens? You get all these baskets full of abundance, blessing. And people say, that's just what this tells you is, whatever you give, you give to God so that you get back from God. So you give God $10, he'll give you 100 You give God 100 he'll give you 1000 You give God 1000 he'll give you 10000 And... All you have to do is turn on the television and find the right channel and you'll hear that message being proclaimed. But that assumes that the greatest blessings of God are material possessions. And they're not. Some of the the greatest disciples of Jesus have nothing. Some of the most holy people in the world, the most blessed people by God have nothing. Because this is about not that we, we don't do this in, in a way that we, we sort of convince God to give us more stuff. What we're really saying is, God, I want more of you. And a heart of compassion, an attitude of compassion, a heart of open-handedness to God, a mindset of generosity is simply opening us to receive the blessings of God, the greatest blessings of God. Things like joy and peace and freedom. 
Because the alternative to being a pers- being people of generosity is to be people who are, who are closed fist about what we have. And when we are closed fist, all we're thinking about is keeping what we have. We hoard it. We protect it. We guard it. We, we fight for it. And I don't know of anybody who lives with that kind of mindset that I would call joyful or peaceful or even free. It's bondage. Freedom comes from living an open-handed life of saying to God, I don't know what this means, but you've given me all these blessings. You've blessed me with, with material things. You've blessed me with grace. You've blessed me with forgiveness. You've blessed me with hope. You've blessed me with, with all of these things. I realize that the only way to live is open-handed with all of them. Take them. And it's a lifelong journey to live that lesson, to live that way. But it's the call of the gospel. I think God is calling us to think outside of the typical boxes that we create. I don't know about you, but when I was a child and growing up, my parents, my dad was a pastor, so we were always at church and we learned the principles about church and and one of the things that we was ingrained in us as children was to tithe to the church. Whatever we had, 10% went to God. It, it, it was so ingrained into us that, that you, you didn't really even think about it. You just do it. And I'm not saying that's bad. But you just, it just do it. It's just a part of, of life. It's just what you do. And as I got older, there was really no argument about it. It's just what you do. And, and I read it this week, someone, a woman was saying that when she was raised, her parents taught her that when every dollar she earned, 50 cents went into savings, 40 cents you could spend, and 10 cents went to God. And I read that, and, and she said it, what it did, it became, giving became mechanical. When I read that, I thought to myself, that just doesn't seem right. That we give God 10 cents. And we keep 90 cents. There's something about that. While the principle is right. There is something about that kind of mindset. That I fear ingrains in our children. The the idea of how little can we give to God. Instead of the mindset that says how much. Can we give to God. I have a friend from way back in college, who went to a missions convention one time and was really, God really burdened him about supporting some of the missionaries that he heard their stories. This was in the late 1970s. And, you know, he, he had no money. He was just, you know, eking by, as many of you are, to pay college bills. And he was pretty much on his own to pay his bills. And, but God laid on his heart to to give $50 a month to support these missionaries. He didn't have $50 a month. But he just really felt like he should take this step of faith. And so he signed a little card that they were asking you know, people to, to do, as we do with faith promises here at times, and turned that in and began to pray about it. When his parents found out, and they were deeply committed to missions and to the work of the church, when his parents found out, they tried to talk him out of it. He said, you know, that, that's way too extravagant. That, that, that's way too, it's kind of reckless. You know, how in the world is that possible? You just got caught up in the emotion of the moment. And then God convicted them. And they came back and apologized to him and said, we're sorry. If that's what God put on your heart, who are we to discourage you? And over the course of that year and in the years that I knew him, God kept supplying that money every single month. Did he have to make some sacrifices? Yes, he did. But the joy that came, that I saw in him of seeing God help him be generous was amazing. And I think one of the reasons we struggle to live lives of joy is because we don't really live lives of faith. 
We don't really put God to the test about our faith. And I fear that's because we, we have this thought in the back of our minds that God isn't really as generous as he says he is. And that's why we have to hang on to what we have. That's why we have to hoard it. Now, God, isn't, God doesn't say what we have is wrong. He doesn't say to the disciples, what have you got? What are you doing with that? You shouldn't have that. No, he just says to them, whatever you have, I've given you, I've blessed you, just give it back to me. And you live your life, and there's nothing wrong with saving money for, for down, rainy days and down the road. That's, that's not a, that, that principle is important. But there is a mindset, there is an attitude of generosity in us that's continually asking God, how can I do more? How can I keep giving you more of my money, of my resources, my possessions, my forgiveness, my grace that you've given me? I have a friend who was telling me this week that he talked about his children. He said, you know, they, he said, it bugs me, but they waste food all the time. We understand that. I mean, we live in a culture where, quite frankly, we can do that. But he said it just drives them crazy that, you know, they'll finish a meal and, and they still have food on their plate and they try to get them to eat it and they won't. They're, they're not, they're, they don't want to eat it. And he's all these lectures and, you know, about people who don't have food and, and he said he really was getting him irritated. He was getting frustrated with his children. He said, and then God put an idea into his mind that maybe the reason his children do that, the reason his children are wasteful, is because they have absolutely no fear where the next meal is going to come from. They know that when they wake up tomorrow morning, there's going to be food for breakfast. And when they eat lunch, there's going to be food for that. And when they come home from school, there's going to be food for, for dinner. They don't have to worry about that. And therefore, it allows them to be, what he would say, wasteful. And he said, all of a sudden, he realized that it's because they have such a trust in he and his wife to supply their needs They don't have to hoard and scrounge their food. And while we don't want to be wasteful with what we have in that sense, there is a sense in which the gospel calls us to be wasteful and reckless with what God has given us. You remember, Mary comes to Jesus and pours a year's worth of perfume on his feet. And the disciples say, what a waste. And Jesus says, no, it isn't. It's never a waste to give whatever we have to God. It may appear reckless to people. It may appear wasteful to people. It may appear that, that we're going way overboard, whether it's money or forgiveness or grace or whatever. But being a disciple of Jesus is about always thinking, how much more can I give? How much more open-handed can I live? And it comes back to believing that God is who he says he is. When you get to the end of the story and there's these 12 baskets full of food, isn't it fascinating? That's more food than they had to begin with. One full basket. I don't know how big the baskets were, but I suspect they were fairly good sized. And one basket for each disciple. And so when they ask him, when the Lord says, how much do you have? And their immediate answer is, not enough. It doesn't matter how much we've got. It's not going to be enough. Jesus says, well, what do you think now? And when God puts on our hearts to show grace to people, how much grace do you have? And we say, I don't have enough. I don't have enough to spare. God says... Don't you think there are baskets full of grace that I'm giving you? There's enough. When God says, I want you to be generous with your forgiveness, and we say, I don't know, I think I need to hang on to it, he reminds us of baskets full of forgiveness that he's given us. When God says, I want you to be generous with your possessions and your money, and we say, I don't know if I'll have enough. It reminds us of the baskets full of more than we had to begin with. 
Because God can be trusted. We tend to live with the mindset of what we see on the television commercials. Past success is not necessarily indicative of future performance. But that's not God. I think that might be one reason why many scholars believe that Mark, in telling this story, is connecting this story with Psalm 23. You look at this story, it begins early on in the chapter. It says, Jesus looked on the crowd, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They are in this remote place, sort of like going through the valley of the shadow of death. He says to them, have the people sit down, not just in the grass, but in the green lush grass. And Jesus says, and and the psalmist says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. And you end the story with abundance. And Psalm 23 ends, my cup runs over, overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Why? Because this is who God is. And we can trust him. Generosity is ultimately about trusting God. It is ultimately about believing that God is who he says he is. And the call to us is to be people who pray continually, God, take what you've given me. God, show me how to use what you've given me. Help me to take my hands off what you've given me. Help me to be a person who's more generous today than I was yesterday and more generous tomorrow than I, than I was the day before. Help me to be more and more generous. Help me to be more and more compassionate. Help me to see people the way you see them. Help me to have your heart and your mind. And whether we get stuff back really isn't the question. The real issue is recognizing that when we live open-handed lives with all that we have, all that we've been given, We become people who experience the kind of life that Jesus did. A life of joy and peace and freedom. And we experience the blessing of being channels of God's grace to people who are needy and broken and hurting. Just like us. This is what it means to be the church. And to be God's people. And nowhere do we see the character and the nature of God more than right here at this table. I mean, this is the ultimate, this is the ultimate sign, the ultimate symbol, the ultimate place of the gracious mercy and generosity of God. Who, while we were yet sinners, while we were the most undeserving people in the world, Sent Jesus. I don't know exactly the meaning of the question for you. What do you have? Money, possessions, gifts, time, energy, forgiveness, relationships, grace. But the call of the gospel is will you give it to me? And find in me joy and peace and freedom and more grace than you could have ever imagined. Father, we thank you for all that you have given us, the ways you've blessed us. Help us to live open-handed lives. As we come to this table today, remind us of who you are and what you've done for us in Christ Jesus. And we pray that your blessing will rest upon the bread and the cup, that as we eat and drink, we will know in a way we've never known before the extravagant grace that you pour out upon us.
And we ask this through Jesus. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, meeting with his disciples, he took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do in remembrance of me. As you're released by Rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then return to your seat by the outside aisles. Altars, rails always open if you want to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you, or if you simply prefer, we have trays of bread and cups. Happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I have gluten-free wafers and cups here. If you would like those, just let me know as you come forward. We practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. It might be the first time that you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to God, with a desire to... To not just receive his blessings, but to be agents of sharing those blessings. And come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving Heavenly Father.
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.